and welcome to the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm BHE Digital Managing Editor Tom Valentino, and this week I had a chance to catch up with Derek Price, the new CEO of Sierra Tucson, the longtime residential and outpatient mental health and addiction treatment center in Tucson, Arizona. Derek joined Sierra Tucson in January, having most recently served as CEO of Desert Hope Treatment Center, which is an American addiction center's facility in Las Vegas, for more than three years. Derek's professional story, however, dates back more than 25 years. In this interview, Derek discusses how a severe neck injury that he suffered as a member of the Detroit Lions in the NFL cut short his football playing career, but it also set him on a path in healthcare that led him to where he is today. Derek also shares some wisdom on organizational leadership that he has developed throughout his career, and he gives us a peek into the future he envisions for Sierra Tucson as he settles into his new role. Covered a lot of ground in this interview, and I think you'll enjoy it. Here we go. All right, we are joined by Derek Price, the new CEO for Sierra Tucson. Derek, you played one season in the NFL before your career was cut short by a severe neck injury. That experience set you down an interesting professional path, though. Walk us through that journey that ultimately led you to Sierra Tucson now. Sure. I hope I hope you got the recorder going because this could take a while. This is a, this is a good story. So um, so football was a means to an end for me. Like I, I love football, but it, it was basically it was my ability to get to college was we didn't it came from a family, you know, single mother. Um, I was the oldest boy and there was just no money to go to college. So it was like, hey, well, you know, if you, you're decent enough at football, if you just go really hard, maybe somebody will pay if you go to school. So that gets me, you know, to University of Iowa. And then from University of Iowa, it takes me over to Detroit. So I end up at the Detroit Lions. And as a rookie, I was able to get my way onto the field and play in the majority of games, uh, not only on special teams, as most rookies do, but actually as, you know, as a position player, as a tight end. I played some H-back and a little bit of fullback. And about four games left in the season, um, I had a really bad hit you know, on a kickoff. And I was kind of in a position where I felt lucky to be there. Like I'd look around the locker room and ask myself, like, what the heck am I doing here? You know, look, this is Barry Sanders and that's Herman Moore. And, you know, these are the guys that are on your walls. And then there's this kid over here named Derek Price. Like nobody knows who this is. I, I, I was fortunate to be there. So I didn't really do anything as far as talk to the trainers. I didn't say anything. So and I was getting a lot of playing time. Um, so I just kind of sucked it up and didn't say anything and played the next four games. And then after the season, you know, I report, hey, everything's good. I feel good. No problem. And I go home. And during the offseason, that that neck fracture that I ended up having, having crushed the nerve. And as such, you know, my left arm shrunk down to about 12 inches around, which at 270 pounds with, you know, 19 inch right arm and a 20 inch neck and then a 12 inch left arm. Like as soon as I came back for my first optional training, they were like, well, something's wrong with you. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm great. Keep me here. Like, cause you know, Hey, you, you can't make the club if you're sitting in the tub. Right. So they send me out to a surgeon and, um, you know, the surgeon's looking at my x-rays and he makes one singular comment to me that I'll never forget. And I'm out there in Los Angeles is real high level spine surgeon. I'm, I mean, I'm in the waiting room with Shaquille O'Neal, Lottie Divac, And like, so I was with they, my agents and team got me the right person. And he goes, hey, you see the way your neck is formed? It's all straight. And all those hits were just crushing on each other. You don't have any any flex or bend in there. You know, if you'd have gone seen your chiropractor and had some biomechanics rebuilt in your neck, you'd have been able to absorb those hits. You wouldn't have this problem. And I didn't know anything about chiropractic at the time. Um, 
other than like what I'd heard from friends and family and other, you know, medical staff I'd been around. So I kind of dismissed the idea. And I, was, I said something as, as silly at the time as, ah, yeah, I'm sure he'd have rubbed some chicken blood on it, put a crystal in my ear and, you know, you know, would have solved all my problems. <clears throat> the guy looks me in the eye. He says, that's a very naive statement and just walks out of the room. And anyway, it like kind of sunk in. I was like, oh my gosh, I almost offended him. So I go through the surgery and I keep going like this chiropractic thing. I don't know what he's talking about. Um, and I go back to the team and Lloyd's of London's like, which is our insurance for the NFL. They're like, Hey, we can't clear you. You can't play this game anymore. You got plates and screws in your neck. Your job is basically a battering ram. You run around and smash people with your head. Like you don't get to do this anymore. Um, so they retire me, you know, I go through retirement and, um, Prior to that, Bobby Ross, which was the head coach of Detroit, calls me in his office and he goes, hey, man, um, you had a great season for us last year. Uh, we love having you around your, you know, all the nice stuff that a good coach would say. He said, you got a couple of years left on your contract. If you'd like, you can kind of stay with the team and and just entourage and travel around and ride out the next couple of years and just kind of live that dream out. You know, thanks for sacrificing your body for us type of a speech. He goes, or you can move on like choice is yours. And it took all of about 10 seconds. And I said, hey, um, I'm not really an entourage guy. I really appreciate the opportunity. But like, if this door is closed, I'm going to go find the next open door. And stood up and shook his hand. And, and that was it. I fly back to Arizona. And I immediately seek out the closest chiropractor to my house. Which happened to be this guy, Dr. Jeff Glaus. And uh, I walk in his office. And I was like, what is this? And what do you guys do? Because like, I shamed myself in front of this world-renowned spine surgeon by by basically poo-pooing you guys. And he kind of took me under his wing for about a month and just kind of, I, I saw that there, it's a very holistic, uh, interdisciplinary approach. They're bringing in multiple providers, doing a lot of different things from diet, nutrition, and stretching, and physical therapy, and chiropractic, and all these things. And I said, hey, this is in my wheelhouse. So then like a month after getting home, um, I, I look at my wife and I was like, well, this is what we're going to go do. And so I call up chiropractic school. I'm like, come to chiropractic school. And they're like, all right, well, let's look at your background. And I had to make up some physics classes and OCHEM, some science classes I hadn't taken in my undergrad. And uh, ultimately, get into chiropractic school and uh, spent four years in there, developed a bunch of, of clubs, started new clubs, had a lot of initiatives. Like I like to, when I get involved in something, I don't like a little bit. I like the all the way approach. And so I do... Um, my neurodiplomat and et cetera, and, and uh, go out to San Francisco after I graduate. And I'm like, I'm going to do Cairo neuro and I'm going to, you know, work on, on patients with head trauma, TBI concussion. This is great. It kind of goes back to some NFL stuff. And I do that for about six months and realize like, Hey, I like that, but I just like working with athletes and ultimately end up going back to Arizona. And for the guy that got me into it, start working for him. And within a year kind of buy him out and we became partners in some other ventures. I continued to build that business, like singular chiropractic office, and started adding in layers. I added a physical therapy, and then I said, well, why are we referring out our physical therapy to ortho? So I added ortho, and I added pain, and add massage, and acupuncture. I just started adding. And then I started reproducing them and bringing other new graduates out and saying, hey, like, you know, let me show you the road of how to be successful. So I did that for a while, opened up a lot of clinics around the country, and then ultimately said, hey, um, I can't really do chiropractic anymore. I'll see him like upwards of 400 patients a week. I was very, very busy. And both of my shoulders completely fell apart. I ended up having surgery on both of them. I just physically couldn't do the work anymore. 
And that was probably a big tipping point that took me from being a provider into the um, administrative space, which was de novo for me. I mean, it was my office, but it was 10, 15 employees. It wasn't a big deal. And I get in the administrative space and I realize um, my ego, you know, took a kick and said, hey, look, patients still come in, even if it's not you. Like I'd always thought they only came in because I'm so great. But no, it's the system that worked really well. And so then I go and I open up an orthopedic clinic, you know, primarily orthopedic. And I added in pain and I added in PT and family and all of the normal musculoskeletal. And I was doing quite a bit of med legal work and personal injury. And I started to just on the fringe notice that a lot of my patients have physical issue, but simultaneously they're really stressed and really anxious and they're depressed. And, you know, they almost have like PTSD and like a phobia of getting back in a car, mostly motor vehicle accidents. So I bring on a psychologist and I have him as part of our team. And um, it was a little bit, you know, unique. A lot of people weren't doing that. They're like, hey, you're putting a psychologist into your personal injury treatment. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know what it is, but they're really stressed out and they sweat when I'm just talking about it and they're depressed and they lost their job or their car, they're injured in chronic pain. And that goes on for a while. And then I was in a fortunate position where I was able to do what everybody wants to do, but nobody tells you it's pretty boring once you do it was do the whole exit strategies. I'm exiting and sell my shares and I get it out and, you know, kind of on that retirement-ish path. Well, that retirement-ish path, last for about two months until I said, like, there's only so much golf to be played. And there's only somebody calling your buddies to see who can hang out. Um, so I said, well, I really like the leadership and teams and growth. So I'm going to go into leadership consulting. I do. And a gentleman named Michael Cartwright reaches out to me. He owns American Addiction Centers and says, hey, I heard about you through XYZ channel. And um, I kind of got a problem child of a hospital. It's kind of our flagship, uh, very siloed and toxic. We come up and take a look at it. Tell me what you think. So I fly up there <clears throat> and during our discussion, about an hour into it, he goes, I'll tell you what, man, just come be the CEO here. And I look in the eye, I'm like, hey, Michael, I don't know anything about behavioral health and addiction. And I wouldn't even have known to use the words mood and trauma at the time. I said, I, this, I'm, I'm musculoskeletal. I can tell you from spine surgery down to chiropractic and everything in between. And he said, Derek, let me tell you something. Leadership is leadership. And you've been involved in medical. It's just different pieces. It's just different tools still working on the human soul. And that's ultimately what we're trying to fix. And so I can buy into that. So I spend the first year. So I take the position at Desert Hope as a CEO. And I realized when I took it over that they had a lot of situations. They were going through bankruptcy, stock delisting, rifts, layoffs, uh, vendor pay issues, staffing issues, just mass exodus, everything. So I pick it up kind of from like the, the brink of total disaster. And I walk in, new shine, this is great. Let's go do this to find out like, man, I'm walking into a car that's about ready to explode. But what I did was, you know, I did the only thing I, I knew how to do was I lead from the front by doing. So um, one of the stories that, that happened early on by chance was, um, you know, Michael was asking me, hey, you know, is this second or third day of being there? He goes, man, the grounds are disgusting. There's cigarette butts everywhere. Trash is littering all over the property. What the heck's going on? And I'm like, well, I've been here for about 48 hours, so I don't know either. But I'll tell you, I asked the same question and I was told uh, we haven't paid the vendors or we haven't done, you know, we're, we're behind on these maintenance payments or we're short staffed or whatever it was. So I said, okay, cool. So the next day I come in with my suit on and I'm like, well, I can't solve for things I can't control, but what I can control is my effort and my opportunity. 
So I put on some gloves. I'm wearing my three-piece suit. I'm out there picking up trash and picking up cigarette butts, et cetera. No fanfare or anything like that. Just went out and started doing it. And the previous CEO drives by and takes a picture. Takes a picture of me doing that and sends it back to the staff. And, uh, you know, with like kind of that laughing emoji, like, oh, look how far you guys have fallen. Your CEO is out picking up trash. Um, and it had exactly the opposite effect, I think, that he thought it would have. The team looked at that and said, we can get behind this guy. Like, this guy's doing it. Like, he's what he asks us to do, he's actually doing. So it gave me like an immediate bump in um, buy-in, more of like a team ability. So then I, <clears throat> they get behind me. <clears throat> and sorry. And in short order, they teach me the game. They teach me like, hey, here's the terms. Here's RTC. Here's detox, PHP, IOP. Here's the requirements, the licensures. Here's how the pieces all lay out. And I got a, a crash course in mental health and substance abuse. And then over the course of the next three plus years, um, truly learned to understand the space. And one of the things in doing so that I witnessed was, you know, I had seen patients for 15 years at this point in time, and I'd been around all the musculoskeletal side of the fence, employed them, started them, built it, whatever, from the, from the surgery centers to the billing groups and everything in between. And I realized I didn't know anything about it. And I realized that when you talk to me about mental health, that I had a stigma to it. When you talk to me about addiction, I had a stigma to it. And I, I, I looked at addiction like, well, that's their problem. And like, if you listen, if you don't want to be an alcoholic, just stop drinking. If you don't want to be depressed, just be happy. Now, you and I now know that that's, it's, that's absolute bunkus. That's, that, that's not how this works. But unfortunately, that is the reality of known material or accepted material to the vast majority of our society. So then I get really excited about like, well, I know that I was seeing it wrong. And I know that my circles are seeing this wrong. And I see the damaging effects that it not only has on the patient, but it has on families. And those families become generational issues. And if I got into this game to be a provider to see how, how can I impact the world and make things better, What's a better impact than returning a father to a family <clears throat> so that he can be the person he was supposed to be or a mother to a family so she can be the mother she's supposed to be to then grow these children in a, in a safe and healthy environment so they can proliferate and so on and so forth. And so we have very far reaching ability here. So I start getting on the on the podcast tour and I, I started talking about it a little bit and I and um, eventually Sierra Tucson through a couple channels finds me. I say, hey, would you be interested in taking a look at this? And uh, I said, of course, yeah. Listen, we all know who Sierra Tucson is. We all know who Acadia is. Like, it, that's no secret. Like, I hear that all the time. Like, you know, it's usually we lost this bid to Acadia. We lost this account to Sierra Tucson. And, and everybody would say, well, it's Sierra Tucson. Like, what are you going to do? They're the Mercedes of the deal. And so during the interview process, the gentlemen that were involved from the corporate side asked me specifically, well, why, you know, why, why would you want to make this move? It was twofold. One is to get back to Arizona because my family, I've been married almost 30 years. I got three beautiful daughters. Um, two of them are out of the house. I got a firefighter and a, and a daughter in pre-med school here at University of Arizona. And I still have one at home. And my at-home daughter asked me, say, hey, dad, um, how come the other two daughters had you for breakfast every morning and I get you on the weekends? Because what I was doing is I was getting on a plane every Monday and flying to Las Vegas. And every Friday after closing the shop, I'd fly home. I did that for three years. I have more Southwest points than just about anybody else I ever met. 
And I looked at her and I said, you're absolutely right. You get one go around to do this right. You know, you can make money anywhere on planet Earth and you can get whatever job you want. But like, you know, if, if you don't prioritize your family, like I think you might be missing the mark. So and it was fortuitous how the universe, because it was kind of when I had that epiphany and that interaction with my daughter and that realization, it's like that's when, you know, Sierra Tucson and whatnot uh, or Acadia came calling. And um, again, their their big why was like, why this? Well, it was A, to get back to Arizona. This is my home ground. I've been, I'm since kindergarten been to Arizona. Uh, and I can sleep in my own bed and be with my family. That's that's huge. You know, obvious. You know, that's an obvious one. But number two, it's just a bigger platform. It's a bigger platform in that I feel like the world needs to know the message about it's okay to get help. And mental health is a real thing. It is as real as diabetes. It's as real as cancer. It's not something that you just wish away or say like, oh, you don't want me depressed? Just don't be depressed, right? That's like saying, I just don't want to have cancer tomorrow. Like it's 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 a little bit fool's errand. And addiction, um, you know, is a disease. It's a disease. It's not just a bad choice that you just routinely make over and over and watch your life deteriorate. It's it's legitimately disease. And so this opportunity gives me that platform to speak louder and specifically to, you know, people from my circle. Like, listen, like th those jerseys behind you. Uh, that's from a guy that nobody ever knew. Like, heck, I tried to buy my own football card once. And the guy was like, never heard of that guy. And I was like, well, me either. <laughs> that's kind of embarrassing. I was like, I was a friend of mine. I was just I wanted to see if you had a card. Um, but when 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 groups of people get to a level in life where your jersey or poster is on their wall and they need help, they're not going to raise their hand. They're not going to raise their hand because then you see them different, right? You can be a Super Bowl champion. You can be MVP. You can be this and that. But as soon as you're labeled an addict or as soon as you're labeled as mental health or something's wrong with you, that's what that's that's what the world picks up. That's how they know you. There's a stigma that rolls with that. And now you're talking about not only that issue, but to get to where you're wearing a jersey like that means that from about third grade, you learn to suck it up and keep your problems to yourself. Because if you complain, this hurts, that hurts, I have an owie, you ain't playing. You're not on the field. So you have a culture that's that's raised in. Don't tell anybody your problems. Everything's always perfect. You always feel like a million bucks. I was playing with a broken neck. Like, I didn't ask for help. Like, just point blank, there it is. Because I knew if I said, I got it, I have something wrong with me. Like, there's a thousand guys that could do my job and probably better. And I was just lucky to be the person that was in that position. And it's very easy for me to be like, oh, damaged goods, next, on to you. So it's very important for me now to have a bigger platform. And Sierra Tucson affords me that ability. Um, and with a four to one staff ratio, like nobody else has that for the experiential, the integrated of the multiple disciplines of medical provider and psychologists that we have here to the integratives. We have on-site chiropractic, PT, uh, acupuncture, massage, EMDR. I have an, a neuro team here that's doing brain mapping, EEG, TMS, equestrian. I got 10 horses behind me. I have an Olympic pool over there. I have an orthopedic surgeon on staff here that's working through pain programs, like this just has all of the tools to do it top shelf. And I'm very proud of it. Um, so it was a no brainer for me to come here and I'm, I'm honored and I'm lucky. There, there's a thousand guys that could do this job as good as me here. And I'm the lucky one that gets to sit in a chair today. And I'm surrounded by world-class professionals. Like the big difference here at Sierra Tucson, uh, Tom is, you know, every facility has great doctors. 
And every facility will have one or two doctors that are really standout or that are that are known nationally, regionally, or internationally. Well, heck, man, I, I could I could throw a rock in any direction and hit one of those here. I can point to who just went to England, who's going to India, and who just conferenced in San Francisco, who's requested to speak in Wisconsin tomorrow. I'm surrounded by top end professionals here, which between me and you makes my job really easy. It's really easy to manage high end professionals. I just hey, let's. Let's focus on the initiatives. I get to, I get to play dream board. I get to think about where are we today and where can we go tomorrow with, with the underlying premise of how do we help serve more people? How do we get to better outcomes? How do we ultimately save more lives? And that's what this whole job is about, is just saving lives. So I'm lucky to be here. And I told you, you better get your recorder ready, buddy, because you asked me that question, it's going to come at you. It's actually a perfect segue for the next topic I wanted to discuss you mentioned being surrounded by tremendous professionals at Sierra Tucson and also having a dream board. What do you see on the horizon for Sierra Tucson? What are your goals for the organization and what direction would you like to take things moving forward? Well, I'll tell you the easy button, Tom, is if I just don't screw it up, that's probably 90% because they're, they're already out in front. They're doing all of the um, evidence-based trainings. We just brought on a neuropsychiatrist. Um, like not a lot of players have that we have, which is going to do the cognitive neuro work that, that is needed. I have that entire neuro team. So I want to expand our neurological department. I want to expand brain mapping. I want to, I want to quantify a little bit more of our brain healing. I want to take a strong look at closed head injuries, TBIs, concussions, and, you know, their concomitant effect of retarding the dopaminergic pathway, which is the reward center hormone for your brain that makes you feel like, like you're reaching for something, you want more and bring that back so that people don't use substance. I want to prove that out a little bit. I want to, um, you know, redesign our experiential building to not just make it a housing of some of the, the intricate cool stuff we do, the uh, yoga and the Pilates and pliability, flexibility. But I have a very strong passion of integrating the physical, the whole body approach. Like, let's make sure that we're focused on nutrition. Let's get your body in shape while we get your mind in shape as we teach you what you need to know to take from here to continue your path to wellness. And I don't want to be kind of a a niche, you know, like, hey, let's just fix this. So let's 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 look at the whole human. Let let's look holistically at this project, and let's come at it from as many angles as possible from offering you know, a, a stretching physical fitness boot camp in the morning that patients can attend to custom pathways, which is totally unique here is, you know, I have 140 some odd people under my roof right now as a patient. And I can tell you every single one of them has a custom plan because the team I have is so good that they look at everybody as an individual. And I want to continue that. Now I want, I'd like to find some efficiencies because when you have 140 patients and each one has an individual plan, it's hard to, hey, how, who's covering where, you know, how are we moving all the pieces around the checkerboard? But that's our problem to solve, right? Because it's the right thing to do for the patient. Um, I've been working with um, some of my VA contacts. I've been working with some of my friends that come from the, the SEAL community and inviting them in and saying, hey, you know, VA patients are being sent all over the place. Um, let me show you what it looks like here. So, you know, I can't say the names right now, but I have a couple of congressmen and some senators that I've reached out to. They're like, well, I have never heard about 
you know, behavioral health and, men and addiction being treated at the level and with what you guys are doing, like, I'd like to come out and see it. So I said, come on. So I am unabashedly um, open about how proud I am here and how much I want to invite people down. And the, it, what I'd like to see happen more is that Sierra Tucson isn't a, um, well, it's known in the community in behavioral health and addiction, but I want it to be known outside of that. Like, I legitimately want to get to a place where, you know, to say that it's like common nomenclature in all medical community be great, but why not try? And if we fall a little bit short, we still, we're out there. So I want to push the message of what they're doing here. And, you know, I don't, Tom, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm giving credit where credit is due. Listen, Sierra Tucson's been here for 40 years. I'm just the next guy up steering the ship right now. And they've done a dang good job getting to where they're at. Um, I was able to meet with Chris Hunter and his whole leadership team. They flew out here about two weeks ago. And to get that whole road show to get in the airplane and fly down Tucson, that's a 20-person team. And they came out here and they were asking the questions, not the corporate questions, but how can we help you? And you know, I bring what's called like a servant leadership style. Like I'm here to help and endorse you. I'm not here to tell you your job. Heck, no matter what job you do here, it's your job. And you're always going to know it better than me. So how can I help you? Right. And I was met with our new CEO, Chris Hunter. With That's exactly the same way that he sees it. He's like, Derek, here's my cell phone number. Like, how can I help you? And not like, here's what you're going to do and stuffing it down my throat. And I think when you start putting together teams like that, Tom, um, the world opens up to you. And, and we're going to keep recruiting talent. I would like to expand our footprint. I would like to expand our outpatient program. Um, I would like to get to a model that, you know, other places can adopt because I think there is the, you know, there's obviously the capitalistic side of like, well, let's keep our secret close at hand. But at the end of the day, my struggle is we're out here to save lives. And it's not just the lives that come under my roof, but like, how can we push this message so that other facilities can benefit from saving lives too, right? So I think I think that's very grandiose. I'm a grandiose guy. Between what you went through physically in football to your work on the chiropractic side to what you're doing now in mental health and addiction treatment, have all of those different experiences helped to shape your outlook and approach towards whole person treatment and organizational management overall? Is that fair to say? Tom, absolutely. And you know, to think that I came up with this or sucked it out of my thumb would be a, a bald faced lie. Like the reality is I've always been really good at surrounding myself with people that are smarter than me, people that uh, I admire for one reason or the other, and people that are just flat out better than me. And I, I annoyingly stick on their hip until I learn it. And then I, I resource them constantly. So I think I'm in this chair doing what I'm doing today because of the sum total of what I've done basically my whole life, like from early on, you know, God bless my mom being a school teacher, putting food on the table for, for three football playing kids that were hellions, like, and figuring out like, Hey, you got to figure this out yourself to some degree. Cause mom's working before school. She's doing jobs after school to try and, so I was that third grade latchkey kid with a paper out. So I learned how to be self-sufficient. Like, Hey, if you want it, you have to go get it. But I've also been surrounded by amazing mentors. I've had amazing coaches in sports. I've had amazing friends that have, that have opened the door for me. I've had amazing, you know, chiropractic mentors. Like I said, Dr. Jeff Klaus, still a business partner of mine to this day after, you know, I started in 2001, so 20 plus years. Um, but I, I surround myself with, with talent that's better than me. And I always say, 
hey, if you look around the room, you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. You know? And uh, I keep that, you know, I, I surround myself with people that are better and I just absorb their ideas. And I'll tell you, Tom, like, I'm not successful because everything I throw at the wall sticks. I'm successful because I just throw a lot at the wall and I either win or I learn. And I know it sounds like, oh, it's cliche. I've heard that before. No, listen, like there may be 10 ways to do something, but you're not going to go know the right one until you start. So I, you know, if you ask my team, especially where I came from or my team here, we'll come up with an idea and, and I'll say like, well, well, how long do you think it's going to take to get this ready? And they'll typical, well, you know, three, four, six weeks. We should, so how about Monday? Like we won't be ready by Monday. So we won't be ready in six weeks either. So let's start Monday. And as we need to adjust it, let's just keep it plastic and let's just keep moving the right direction. And by six weeks, it'll be perfect versus starting in six weeks and going through the same hurdles. I'm just not afraid to fail forward on things. And uh, that's just my personality type. And I wouldn't say that I'm a risk taker, but I'm not averse to risk. If it's about saving lives, um, you know, I just had a conversation with one of my staff members the other day. We came up with a better way to do this particular widget that helps a patient. And they, you know, same conversation. Well, let me give me four weeks to flush it out. I said, well, how does that help my patients that are here today? Because every patient that walks through my doors right now, is somebody's brother, mother, sister, father, loved one, whatever. And if it was yours, how would you want them treated? They go, well, I'd like to see this in place. Like if I was here, I said, okay, that, then that's the mission. And that's what we're driving towards. And let's go get this done. That is a fantastic outlook. Derek, we've covered a lot here. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we let you go? No, I, I, you know, heck, you give me a microphone, Tom, you might not get it back, but I get passionate about it because we're not talking about business and we're not talking about money and we're not talking about stock prices. Like that's all great. Right. And obviously we, we work to, to earn a living to, to pay our bills, but I mean, I get the opportunity to like save lives, like forget about all of the sexy, fancy taglines and and the wordsmithing of lexicon of your business mantras and all that. Like, listen, in this business, you are here to save lives. And in this business, you have the opportunity to change the generational direction of an entire family tree. Like, that's powerful. And that gives me that spiritual satiety that makes me want to wake up and get excited about, you know, having a small hand in this. And listen, I don't do any of that work. That's my doctors. That's my clinicians. That's my providers. But I get the opportunity to be around them and to, to be their servant. How can I help you save more lives? And for me, it's a dream. It's a dream job. I love it. All right. There you go. Derek Price, CEO of Sierra Tucson. As a reminder, as we wrap up here, you could subscribe to the BHE podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as most other podcast listening platforms. All past episodes of the show are also available on our website, behavioral.net. Our thanks once again to Sierra Tucson CEO, Derek Price, for joining us. I'm Tom Valentino, and this has been the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. Mm-hmm.